Hey everybody, it's Ian King, founder of King Sports International and author of a number of books on training, innovative training methods used throughout the world. Okay, we're back here for another KSI huddle. If we have a question, let's do it. Go ahead, James. At the risk of being the Huckleberry again, you guys, uh, what do you think about, can somebody be too flexible? What do you think about someone being too flexible? I've just heard uh, that if you want the joint to have enough range of motion for the sport, and that if you get uh, much more than that joint range of motion, that you could potentially open the athlete up some sort of... Can, 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 I, can I talk about a common theme that we've heard, not, not just in this huddle, but prior to the huddle and in the huddle, I've heard two people say, I've heard. What about this thing I've heard? Let's talk about the thing you've heard. There was a time when the, when, when, when the world believed that if you went too far to the edge, you'd fall off it. And as a result, people didn't go too far in their boats. Uh, and I don't know history as well as some do, but as I understand it, there was a, a sailor, perhaps it was Columbus, I don't know who it was, who said, well, I don't know if that's true, but let's find out. And he didn't fall off the edge of the earth. So that's just one example of many where people have said, well, I've heard that, therefore I will restrict my behaviours. Yeah, well, I'm not, it's not, again, yeah, I'm not restricting my behavior. It's just something that I hear from people. And so I'm, you know, curious what you, when, when you're presented with that question. Let's go through somebody. some of the things I've heard from people. I've heard from people that as a child I had red hair and that red-haired people were inferior people. And then um, I've heard um, not so much in my upbringing because I was in a multicultural environment, but I heard that dark-skinned people were, were second-rate citizens. Um, they weren't allowed to go to the same restaurants, weren't allowed to go to the same swimming pool, get on the same bus. Um, I've heard, um, you know, that you know, I'd go on forever, couldn't I? You know, I'm going with that. No, I think one is um, based on my experiences. Um, there's some yoga guys that get into wrestling and jujitsu, and they just don't feel strong. So, yeah, I kind of based on the conclusion is it because they're doing more yoga and they're not. As I'll good give you another example. I know quite a few powerlifters who've gone away from powerlifting gone and done other sports where they've got more flexible, they've gone and done martial arts and they've come back in to, to powerlifting and got injured and come to the similar conclusion. But is there the possibility that they've, they've accelerated their loading too fast because they, in their mind they know how to be strong but their body isn't quite ready for it because it actually takes you a while to condition your body to, in, in lifting to tolerate the load at the joint level. Uh, in, in your sport, the application of force is something that they might have uh, skill or range but don't have that yet. I'll give another example. There was a, a researcher who was quite active in, in his time in powerlifting and he went out and threw a shot put and didn't throw it very far. So you know what he concluded? That his slow speed powerlifting didn't serve which wasn't correct because he'd only thrown a shot with twice in his life. So, yeah, you've got to be careful with the core speculations. And that's, that's the thing that's... I, I don't talk about this at this level, but the, the, the concept of interpretation is something that we teach at a higher level and, and the ability and the effectiveness of interpretation is that which separates people in sport. Because everyone's got an opinion, but very few of them are actually accurate. When you say that is in almost everything that we're bombarded with, though? Like, when you're, like, I'm in nutrition. I'm presented with tons of studies. Like, Dr. Oz is out there saying all this stuff, and it's, like, all based on faulty science. 
Oh, the science. Yeah. If you don't question yeah, where it's exactly. coming from, if you did the study, it, exactly. It's like you got to go through life with your eyes open. If, you can't. Exactly. Well, look at the sta- some of the statin research. I was listening to a presentation by a doctor, and, and he said, "Well, listen, as, as soon as anybody showed an adverse reaction, they'd pull them from from the, from the study to make sure that 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 didn't um, affect the result. Affect the result. Yeah. And and that was not just in in, in statin drugs. That that was in um, um, contraceptive drugs. I mean, the, the manipulation of inverted commas research for commercial gain has been." Uh, significant, perhaps. And when you understand the, the origin of higher uh, level education, and again, this is me uh, being influenced in, in my thought because I haven't been on the planet long enough to understand, but I think it was um, Buckminster Fuller that talks about that specialised higher level education, like specialists, people who become professionals and do the higher, you go to do a high level study. Are, are, are in programs that are funded by the companies who stand to benefit from having people who are con- conditioned to perform that specific task. And therefore, the whole educational process is, is historically being, in, in the contemporary society, being controlled by commercial interests funding the education. And I, 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 I don't see any reason to, um, to question that one, even that, yeah, I don't have a lot of time for the word research. The concept of research is beautiful. I love the objectivity. And I, when I went through university and we did a whole semester, as everyone does, on, on um, you know, how to conduct studies and objectivity and, and, and controls and all that sort of thing, and it's beautiful. I love it. But I don't see it being done. And, and when people talk about research, I say, well, is it really objective? What I do in my practical application as a coach is more objective than I believe the majority of science is. Now, I know everyone in academia will, will continue to throw rocks, but that's nothing new. I'm used to being stoned. But I don't say to the person, you do this and this is going to happen. I have a hypothesis, I test it, and I respect the conclusion. So we can all be more objective than research. So when someone says to me, well, research says, I say, well, geez, you can do better than that. Like, you know, the old static stretch will make me this or make me that. Well, have you done it? No, I haven't done it. Did the person who talked to that done it? No, they haven't done it. Did the researchers do it? No, they haven't did it. So everyone's acting on um, false beliefs. So we're off that tangent. That's what happens before. What, um, what, what sport do you think has the best athletes overall? If they jump to different sports, they'd be pretty decent. Yeah, that's a real good question. And I've seen, I've seen a lot of that. And there's some great examples of that. Boy, where do you start? Um, I've seen... I went through uh, university with three girls who went on to, to take on a new sport at a late age, but because of their prior training, did really well. Um, uh, one girl was really uh, loved to run, just loved to run. And she took on rowing in, in her you know, mid to late 20s and became a world champion. So that's, that endurance base served her well. Um, another girl loved to run as well and went on in mid-twenties to be one of Australia's most successful females in, in, in uh, Tour de France and, and long-distance cycling. So that transferred well. Um, another one went on to be a, a stair climber. So I, I've seen it time and time again. Um, I love basketball, for example, the, the skills of a basketballer. They're, they, they, they lack some things, but their, their hand-eye coordination is so... Superior. What about gymnastics? 
gymnastics, gymnasts, the transfer gymnasts, um, uh, pole, pole vault, um, aerials. They, there are so many opportunities for them to transfer. So it's really good to see an athlete successfully uh, move from one sport to another. It doesn't always work, but it's beautiful when they do, especially you know, for an Olympian who wants to go to another Olympic Games and they're able to do that in multiple sports. And we've got you know, quite a few examples. So it is great to see, and I back anyone who, who's willing to do that. Um, in fact, they often do it when they, their body is no longer able to sustain the, the rigours of one <coughs> sport and allows them to, to move on from there. Um, so we've been talking about back squat this whole time. So I'm just curious, <laughs> if back squat is how, then what is the replacement? Well, my question is, why is back squat out? Well, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just thinking about what I'm hearing. Something about well, I hope, you, I hope I've never said back squats. See, the interesting thing is this. When I challenge something, people say, well, Got to throw it out. You know, they throw the baby out to spite the bath in the water or throw, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll give you an example. When I introduced lines of movement in the late 90s and I said, everybody's doing, you know, like a program based on muscle groups and they're not thinking about lines of movement. So, you know what the next step was? The first plagiarist of my work there said, lines of muscle groups are bad, you never do muscle group workouts. Gone. Um, people overreact. So when I challenge something, it doesn't mean it doesn't always mean I don't agree. I just want it in context, if that makes sense. But Ian, didn't you say you didn't say that back squats were bad? No. All you said was do Why the exercise that's specific for the sport or the athlete. Well, I didn't. Even, I didn't even say that. What, what, what I was saying is there are some variables in program design that have a higher transfer requirement, and you need to respect them more than others. That makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, give you some insights into the history of back squatting. One of the biggest impacts on back squatting in this country was when um, Angel Spazoff from Bulgaria came across in 1990 or 91, and, and Angel said, "In Bulgaria, we don't back squat anymore. We just put our back foot up on a bench and a bar on our back, and we bend our knees." So we called it the Bulgarian lunge or Bulgarian squat. And everybody then, machine, he went on a tour, a speaking tour of America, and everyone assumed that they no longer back squatted. Like, you know, they just threw it out. Um, let's, I'll give you another one. 30 years ago, when you were doing a good morning, you put the bar on your back and you'd round your back over and put your head on your knees, like just round over. And then, then someone came out with this, we've got to come with science to suggest that it was too stressful on the back. And then, uh, so pe- people had to have a flat back. Everyone thought of flip back. Um, there was a time when everyone thought a, a deadlift was a Bentley deadlift, and now when you say deadlift, people think it's, you know. Uh, I'll give you another one. Um, Dragomir um, from um, Romania um, was uh, introduced uh, us to a flat back version of the Russian deadlift, and, you know, that's gone on and been so misinterpreted. Everyone's dropped the other thing. Like people just overact all the time. So I'm probably more critical of the American shift towards front squatting. See, this is where it went. They said, "Okay, too hard to teach back squat. Don't have the flexibility. Don't have the flexibility." I'm thinking, "Well, my God, then what's the solution? Fix them. Flexibility." Anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, so they, they said, oh, well, I, I, this is in writing. People write this stuff. 
it's too difficult to teach it, so I started teaching the front squat. Well, what a dumb solution that was. And then it's too difficult to teach the front squat, so the holy son waited in front to give me some weird, wacky name. Like, you know, I'll give you the history on sit-ups. You go back in the military 50 years ago, you have your legs straight, and you just do a sit-up. And they say, well, Jesus, a bit stressful on the hip flexors, we better bend our knees, so fantastic. And we better have someone holding, holding down, bending their knees. Oh, well, holding down, too stressful hip flexors, stop, bend, stop holding their feet down, fantastic. Oh, coming up all the way, it's too stressful on the knees, so do that. And, and by the end of it, there was a time in the late 80s, early 90s, where the aerobic classes of the world, they were doing it, this, this was it. Because it was too stressful to do anything else. I mean, it's just, where is it going to stop? There was a period of time where the world actually lacked the ability to protect their, their body because no one was doing a full range sit-up anymore. Now let's move on to the subject of core. I don't use that word, but it's been popularised. And you know, it's like, you've got a problem, oh, core, you just need core. Like, give me a break. People are so dumb. The educational system dumbs us down. There's books that are written by, by that, and they're written by former educators in the American educational system. Dumbing us down is a great title. Go out and read it. And the whole educational system is aimed at discouraging you from thinking so that you can be part of the wheels of commerce. Now, obviously, that's just my perspective, but I'm not the first or only one to have that perspective. So what I say to people, listen, you've got a brain, use it. And, and it's not, I mean, I'm not saying that in an insulting way, but we've been discouraged from using our own thinking. Okay, and that, right along those lines, I don't know what this machine is called, but we have this... Machine dumps, you know, now dumps in the budget that you know you can do work your lower back, work your you know your core or whatever. But and so the bear doesn't break down. No, the one the one that the, the machine with the kind of a oval. Oh, so you can do lower back. So yeah, so I, hammers. Yeah, yeah. What I've noticed for me, me personally, I like to engage my lower back every time I do. Uh, abdominal exercise, I feel that what's best for me. So what I've done was kind of sit that seating to where that, when I go back down, I'm actually going down like this to where that, because I want to engage my lower Facing upwards to the sky or facing downwards to the sky? Facing upwards to the sky. Yes. Because I want to engage my lower back as far as I see others where they just go I mean they here, they just go here right. there, but then I feel that this is also part of my core, and for the muscles that we use for training, that this is really important. So, for me, there is no core exercise where I don't engage my lower back. Okay, good. So, there's a few things here. Number one, you're saying uh, I feel, and number one is you're, you're using what I suspect is a, the, what I feel is a, the better um, way of measuring training, which is how you feel about it. Number two, you're reaching your own conclusions. So. We're making some, making some good steps here. As to the impact on the body, that's something that, that you're best to judge. I, I'm not completely sure what, what you're describing, but I'd have to see it. When I say, uh, not because your description is adequate, but I, I would probably want to see it before I well, comment, kind of like comment on it. Kind of like sitting on this table yeah. and, and facing the roof. So there are upsides and downsides to everything. You know, um, uh, I talked about the opposite and equal effect uh, many years ago. So the 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 risks involved would be uh, any compression of the the spine. Um, you know the the shape of the bones in the spine are designed to limit extension, and so it's, you just have to be conscious that you weren't jamming that. 
but you're definitely getting um, strengthening through range. There's no question about that. I just want to make sure that you weren't experiencing, it wasn't building up towards it and causing any back discomfort. That's probably my only concern there. But I'm really impressed with your thinking. Um, as far as the need to have everything working all this at once, you know, I, I'm probably a little bit from the school where there's a time and a place for isolation, there's a time and place for compound, and that's another great example. I mean, we're in this era of popularisation, or we're, you know, I don't like it when the fitness industry drives sports training. I really don't enjoy that. And I, it's the first time I saw that was in the late 80s, early 90s, when they brought out the rowing machine. They gave a rowing machine, like a ergo, a static rowing machine, to every member of the English rugby union team because obviously it was going to cause more sales. Now, I don't know if they actually used it, but they popularised that they'd done that and they increased their sales of rowing machines. Uh, and, and then cross-training, when cross-training came in, the, the concept of cross-training, well, we can do any form of training, we'll get aerobically fit. Fantastic, so they could sell a stair climber, a treadmill, or a, or a bike, or anything like any combination of the above. Fantastic concept. But I didn't like it when, the, when athletes used to come in, specific sports athletes, and started, well, I can do cross-training, it'll make me a better athlete. That's, well, not quite going to work like that, because you're not a general population person. Like, non-specific training will transfer at the lower level, it won't transfer at the higher level, especially in endurance. Endurance doesn't work like that. So I don't... Um, I'm very conscious of the... Of, of the of the, of the misinterpretation of the trends that are coming from the fitness industry. So there have been a number of them um, come in and they're... I want you to be really thoughtful before you jump on board with those ones. I don't like it when the fitness industry leads, if that makes sense. And there's some very powerful marketing forces involved. Fitness industry's got really smart. It just used to sell equipment, but now they have people doing seminars on their behalf, if you understand what I'm saying. Well, we've gotten to the point now, at least in the United States, especially those of us that work with, with high school-age student-athletes, where the reality is the parents are the client. The, the student, yes. you know, they're the ones yes. paying the bill. Yes. And so I'm running into more and more, you know, for, you know, um, a clap, it's, it's, it's a group of people that have got access to all of this information. Exactly. And now you're now their preconceived ideas and their yes. protocol for their litmus test of whether you know what you're talking yes. about. It's whether you're doing whether you can spit out exactly. and regurgitate all of the That's right. latest buzzwords. This is what separates people. You have a choice of conforming to their expectation or not. Right. And that's the line in the scene. Because this is my attitude. I look at them, I smile, I say, that's interesting, isn't it? I go and do what I do, and if they don't like it, guess what? The door's open. Because I'm not necessarily here to give you what you think you need. I'm here to give you what we collectively, being you know, the athlete and I, feel is best for you. Big difference. But everybody in the fitness industry says, oh my God, the clients aren't going to turn up if I don't have the latest kettlebell. Mm-hmm. You know, if the new trend was pink kettlebells, I'd get pink kettlebells. So if it's a pink kettlebell with a long, long rope that used to be on a shipyard tied to it, then they'd get, you know, they'd get that combination as well. Anybody who is conforming to a trend has no future in business. Their business is dictated by the latest women trend. You've got to stand for something. You with me? Absolutely. If I watch someone over a 10, 20 year period and they keep changing direction, they stand for nothing. What is um, your feelings or as far as you know, both of you are concerned about um, being able to develop flexibility today? 
by exercises that promote stretching, for instance. Um, as an example, if I get on my stomach, chest up, feet up, and I have a, some kind of apparatus in front of me where you know, I come here, you know, touch in on the back, and what are your thoughts I think, about exercises that promote Okay, so they're, they're sort of moving exercises to promote stretching. Yeah. Correct. Okay, I've got an underlying fundamental principle co conflict here. For me, the, the, the definition of success in stretching is relaxation. So I've got a real challenge with that. And, and when I hear someone tell do a dynamic lunge and you're going to improve your flexibility, um, um, okay, your, joint temp your body temperature will raise and that will give you a temporary improvement. Yes. Um, if you've been sitting in a chair all day and you're feeling stiff, you'll suddenly feel more flexible. Yes. But what's that actually going to do? What's the adaptation, underlying adaptation going to do? It's actually a contraction activity. It will raise your muscle tension and done over a period of time will result in a shortening. So for me, it's um, what weed have they been smoking? <laughs> yeah. But it is um, getting more and more of that, like promoting that this is... And I see it as... There's always pressure to return to flexibility. There's, and that's why there's a slow collapse. This is like communism slowly crumbling. Um, because when flexibility got to a point of interest, those who control thinking and activity said, stop, they put up, they, like, they put the hammer down and said, bang, let's introduce some really strong misconceptions in the marketplace to stop this trend so we have time to understand it. And then they just slowly release it. Okay, it's okay if you did it afterwards. But not before, you know. You're okay with this. You can do mobility, but not flexibility. All this bullshit um, concept. So, um, yeah, it's um, a compromise. So, Mitchell, you were also asked. Your, your... Yeah, we we spoke about this before. That relaxation is key yeah. to flexibility, and and that is contraction based. It doesn't do it, and anything contraction based will result in shortening. So that would. He starts to get into the strength. Like, exactly. You guys exactly. view that as strength. Exactly. And it produces tension would be on the strength side. Exactly. Exactly. And everything's on a continuum, but you fade from one to the other. So you know, it will, it will, it will, in the short term, give you, it will give you, short term transient increase because of the joint temperature change. It'll be neutral within a few days, but within weeks or months, it's actually going to have a different effect. But we're not saying that you shouldn't do those things. Right. Continue on, and there's a time and place for everything. We just want to put it in context of the benefit. So if anyone's telling you, when I hear someone say, oh, this is how you can improve your flexibility, this will improve your flexibility, I mean, that's, they've drunk the Kool-Aid. Yeah. You know, because that's the dominant but myth. And it can you feel like, like a, I mean, a control drill or a, it can feel like a tension reduction yeah. movement. Yeah. But the reality is just because we've slowed it down and just because it's been, it's more controlled, but it's still a tension it, increasing. Exactly. You increase your joint temperature and you've got more range and you feel better. Sure. Temporarily. Yeah. But, it's, but it doesn't hit, hit the, but it doesn't sit on the continuum side of tension. Exactly. And that's Good the, man. And that's the thing in interpreting these concepts. And this is not about interpretation. When Junior asked about the squat before, or the back squat. Not at all. Back squatting is awesome. It's a fantastic exercise, but most people don't qualify for it. They don't have the range, they don't have the technique, they don't have the model, they're not disciplined enough to learn. And those who are doing it, overwhelming 99.99% of them are doing, it, are doing it in a way that is actually is not serving them anyway. So it's not that anything is bad or good, it's just the execution or the application or the relevance is, is inappropriate.
And I, listen, I don't see anybody in the world doing, a, doing an exercise, generally speaking, in, in a technical manner that I would say appropriate for whatever their pursuit is. See, this is a problem with strength training. I'll be real clear, and we'll get on this a bit more later. If you, and people do, look at the strength sports as your model for strength training, you understand this. If I'm in a powerlifting competition, I'm an Olympic lifting competition, it's not a beauty contest. <laughs> the bar's here, the bar's got to go here. End of story. There are very few rules that dictate. There are some, but there are very few. Fantastic. So you can lift any how you want, and you can be the best lifter in the world. Fantastic. But to assume that, that, that the training effect that they get will serve other sports is a very dangerous assumption. Let's be very clear. <clears throat> Those lifters don't run, generally speaking. They don't run, they don't wrestle, they don't jump, they don't hit an object, they don't do this, they don't do that. In addition to that, they do a lot of other training. So not only have we got questionable adaptation, but when we do their volume of training and we can mix it with the volume of training that we do in our specific sport, we've got some massive problems. Most of the injuries are coming because people say, well, look at that lifter. They're doing that, therefore it must be good. It's not. It doesn't apply to them. The lifters are getting away with it. That's all. They're not finding the limits of the implications of what they're doing until later in life. So how do you then? So that's the question: How do you figure out which ones transfer? Is it just trial and error? Yeah, and training. It it it, it, it is. It is because um, it doesn't get done because it's a, a bit of a journey. It's not an overnight thing. It's like learning jujitsu. You know how long? You know, remember? You understand this totally. In America and karate now, you get a black belt in 12 months. You know, right? Yeah, and in yeah. jiu-jitsu, it and takes years. years. Old, yeah. yeah, years and years and years yeah. and years. So, so few people are committed to doing that. To learn to squat in the manner that we wish you to do, we can teach you in 30 seconds. But to retain that model, or to power clean the way, to retain that model takes a long time. It takes the same discipline to earn a black belt in jiu-jitsu, to strength train in the manner that we get our athletes to. Does that help understand? Yeah. So That's the analogy. So and that is kind of joint angle thing you're talking about, like looking how someone's lifting and saying, okay, a power lifter lifts this way, but the, the, the joint angles and stuff that they're to- using totally relevant. aren't exactly. relevant to what we use. And, and not just the starting joint positions, the things that are happening from point A to point B are, are so damaging in the, in, to the athlete in other disciplines. But we are at a really dumb point in history, and I don't necessarily think it's going to get any better, where people aren't they're not looking at that. You know, they, and this is, let me just real clear, the direction of strength training is going more extremely irrelevant to sport. What's being done in the, in the strength sports is shifting further away from application to sport. And it's dragging athlete training even that direction. We are having an incredible increasing rate of, uh, and, and incidence and severity of injuries as a result of trends like this. Like, selfishly, I love it. Because if I've got 10 athletes at the World Championships, if there's 10 athletes that can go to World Championships and nine of them are injured, guess what? The old last man standing, and it'll be, it'll be our athlete. Now, obviously, we want to be more competitive than that. But it, like, half our work is being done by other people destroying their athletes. I love it. Like, athletes come in every day, and they say, oh, competitor X, he's gone. And we say, yes! Next day they come in, oh, competitor Y, he's gone, yeah! You know, oh, it's only a short term. That's okay. It'll build up, and it'll, it'll come back too early, and it'll go again. We celebrate every single day. 
So I've got two sides. One that's out there willing to help you if you're interested, and the other side is saying, no, great, go and get injured. Because if I'm working with someone in your sport, well, that's one less person we've got to deal with. And I'm telling you, they're just falling like flies. Love it. Now, if I'm a sporting administrator, I don't care. You're just meat. I buy you, you're wrecked, you're gone. Buy another one, gone. Buy another one, gone. But I'm not. When a person comes to me, I want every single one of them to be great. I'm not trading them. Does that make sense? If they're staying with me, we're going to be great. So I don't have that luxury of trade. I'm not buying and selling. Big difference. It kind of went back to, I, because I have a nutrition side to that whole, because it's all part of it, and when John was talking about doing weight loss in a healthy way, so that you're not trashing your athletes, yes. because they have, you know, it's, it's all fundamental. It's like you don't want to injure them with food either, with hydration or you know, with supplements or nutraceuticals that are going to crash them. Because they're not going to be any good later on. They're going to be one of the ones falling out. Exactly. You exactly. want to take care of them on all aspects. All aspects. That's right. So the care that we put in athletes is really high. And it's something that kind of probably scares or bores people because they just think, let's get it now, let's get it now, let's get it now. And the world's continuing in that direction, which, you know, we're not here to save the problems of the world. It's the same with the, the seminars that we do. You'll notice we're not sitting here saying, do this, do that, do this, do that. We're making you think. We're teaching you how to think instead of what to think. Do, do, are you picking that up? It's the same way that the athlete training is done as well. There's no shortcuts. There's no solutions. Oh, sorry, there's no shortcut solutions. There's heaps of solutions, but you've got to learn to figure them out. And when you stop asking questions, your changes will stop. Okay, so we've had... Um, I don't know how relevant this was to the last topic, but um, I know that you covered like you know, stretching, you know, before the activity and things of that. You know. So where does, for instance, the bucket back, or the ice bucket, that would be after training? Like the ice bath? Yeah. It's it's a it's a method of recovery. Yes. And you can use that different times so you can use that as a, as a session in itself some people do others use it post training um, again my perspective on this is that it's simply a contrast so you'll notice people in cold climates they don't go do ice baths they get in a sauna right in European countries that are very cold and Russia they jump in saunas so they're used all the time you talked about saunas here people oh they're bad you shouldn't do them blah 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 but I, I perceive it just as a contrast so I live in a hot climate a lot of people ice whether it's just because it's an ice bath, I actually don't think it's that. I think it's just it's a contrast, and it's the contrast and training that helps the body benefit. If you're going to go live in a cold climate, you're not going to jump in the ice. You're going to jump in something warm because you're freezing all the time. So there's, there's definitely room for all those kinds of things. Definitely. But the interesting thing for me is that when people, what the techniques they adopt in recovery are usually the trends. They don't, they don't say, okay, what are all my options? Okay, I'll brainstorm and I've got 17. Now, I'm going to order them in points of relevance to me. And I'm going to determine which time of the year I'm going to use this one. I'm going to determine how long for. You with me? That's not that. Well, geez, everybody else do this. We've got to do this. So I mock that stuff, not, not specifically, but I mock them simply because people aren't thinking. I had um, a high-performance director come to me once in a national sport and say, Ian, what do you think of vibration uh, platforms? Because that was where that trend was coming through, because obviously someone worked out how to make money out of it. Um, and I said, that's fantastic, but quick question. 
how's this going, this going, this going, this going? And he just looked at me blankly and, and said, oh, that was the end of the conversation because I didn't answer what he wanted to do. They, they, they were just after the latest toy to say, hey, we've got the latest toy. You know, they're not, they're not interested in really finding out what's best because what best might be a walk in the, in the forest. On that, on that exact topic, there's a sports team in Australia that um, they invested $25 million in, in a recovery facility, a training facility, right? The year they did that, the next year they finished last. The year after that, they finished second last in a National League competition, okay? They live, they train 10 minutes from the beach. Blue skies, sand, fresh air, beautiful clean water. They could just go to the water, right, and recover. Instead, they spent $25 million, probably $10 million on these pools and bars and all this kind of stuff. Oh, I went and saw it. They've got everything there. Did it serve them? Did you get that? They bought the trend instead of asking what was on it. It's human nature, though, too. I mean, I, a lot of the students that I coach, they get beat by someone. They want to know what that person did. I mean, and so... Yeah, and that's where interpretation comes in. Because unless you understand why people win or why people lose, you'll never know what to do to win. End of story. Right. And let me explain this to you. In a winning program, from the coach to the assistant coach to the, to the, the assistant's assistants, through to the, the physical therapists, the transition coaches, through to the strappers, through, you know, through to the ball boy, through to the orange juice man, through to the car park attendant, um, through to the cleaner. Like every single one of that person will go away and put in their CV that they were responsible for that win. And people will buy them on that basis. Everybody in that program believes they will win. Understanding what is a common denominator with success is the big challenge. And that's what we like. That's one of my specialties. What's one of the things I really love to focus on? Because if I can identify why they win, I can reproduce it. And I, can, I, I don't meet too many people who understand this concept or can do it effectively. But I know a lot of people. Hey, listen, he's really good because he was with the the blah blah blahs when they won the championship. And I've seen. Let me say, give an example. There was a team that um, a national team that hired a coach from another country because he was a coach of a team that had won a number of championships. Um, he became the highest paid coach in the world in that sport for five years. His win-loss record was 52% with that team. Didn't win a thing. Surprise, surprise, I predicted it. And I can go on because every time something happens in sport, we, we, we make a prediction just to test hypotheses. That's just fun. This is probably yeah, a half subject. I'm sorry. I'll just to add to what Ian says. We actually do do this. This is not a joke. We have spreadsheets on our computers where for how many years, we've been doing this for years now, that we predict what teams will do. We have, we have it. We've got their wind and coaches, and when they get, we do this for fun, this analysis and this interpretation. Because it helps us. It helps us understand. But are you looking for are you looking for transcendent ideals that, that sort of permeate a particular club, or are you looking for like practical applications, you know, that you're that you're hearing out of out, out, out of the, the I, I want to know or? why they won. I just want to know why they won. Really why they won. Really why they won. Really why they won. Yeah, and, and that's Phil like Jackson. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. That's a great example. He is a man who's met my criteria of winning with two different teams. Then, you're, then you get my attention. You, you could win 10 championships with the same team. I'm not that interested. You with me? Mm -hmm. Because, well, I'm interested in the, in the, in the whole organisation, but I'm not going to jump to the conclusion that you're the common denominator. Good luck to you. Your bank account's going to be a lot bigger for it, but I'm not going to be jumping to that conclusion. I want to test that. You with me? Mm -hmm. I want to see you in a different environment, see whether you can reproduce it. Well, John Wooden won state high school championships when he was, you know, as a high school coach. Exactly. 
And, you know, so a great coach will win when they start at the junior level all the way through. But there are too many to do that. Most coaching appointments are made on, on ability to sell the, themselves. You understanding that? There are actually very few truly successful people in sport, full stop. And the same with the roster. You're in a winning championship, they won because of me. And I, you'll get traded on, you'll get purchased on that basis. But you go into another program, <coughs> they didn't win. Hold it, what's going on here? They won when they were in the last program. You know, how did we possibly mess that up? You know what I mean? Any administrator sat back and said, oh, geez, five years later, oh, geez, we paid so much money for that athlete because we thought he was the reason they won. But he didn't. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and I, I understand anybody involved in winning program promoting themselves on that basis. But you know what I want to do? I want to know your entire record. I want to know from when you started coaching to when you finished coaching what your record was. Because I know a lot of people that are in the industry for 20 years as a strength and conditioning coach 20 years and will finally get involved with a winning team. And guess what? It's cost of me. Well, if that was the case, what happened in the other 19 years? Are you going to tell us about that or not? I've seen people go and fail and fail and fail and fail and fail and fail and fail, destroy athletes, destroy teams, fail, 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 win. But they didn't win because of them. Great discussion. Because they, the, 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 the goal, we're here to win and we need to, you know, we need to know what it takes to win. And that's, what we, that's our entire focus. That doesn't always mean winning on the day at all age groups. You understand what I'm saying? When I'm, when I'm working with a younger athlete, I don't care what the school board says. Literally don't care what the school board does. We typically win because we don't focus on the school board. But the school board is not the goal. But when you get to the, you know, the peak of your career, well, the school board is, is everything. Okay, so we're going to wrap up that huddle and we'll, we'll have more in the future. Appreciate it.